Welcome to the Clinician Life Podcast. I'm Emma Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daryl Yardley. And together, we're on a mission to help you elevate your practice to new heights. Join us each week as we bring you invaluable insights from some of the world's leading clinicians. From staying ahead of industry trends to crafting your dream career and life, we've got you covered. Get set to unlock your full potential. Here we go. Hey, happy new year. Happy new year to you. 2024. I know. My holiday, um, my last day of work, I finished around three o'clock. Around 530, I was making dinner and I turned to Kevin and I said, ooh, my throat's feeling a little scratchy. And by 8 p.m., I had full on symptoms of COVID. And the next morning I tested so positive for COVID and it lasted until return to work last week. <laughs> so those few hard black lines or those two hard lines, right? Yep. Yep. She lit up really quick. So our holiday was a little bit different than we expected. We made the yeah. best of it, but uh, yeah, unfortunately I am like, I think I'm batting like three for four um in terms of christmas covid uh, the past couple years so uh yeah that was our christmas christmas got canceled a little bit it's too bad how are you guys gonna make up for it then so we yes that was very important for my own mindset during the holidays to be like okay how are in the future are we gonna make up for this so we have plans to see both of our families in the coming weeks and we we were supposed to go away um in between christmas and New Year's, so we've rescheduled that so it's just delayed gratification yeah. on the holidays yeah and it, it, to be honest it won't be as crazy this is true and you know what i had to remind myself like these moments are available at any time we don't just because society tells us it needs to happen on a certain day doesn't mean we have to take that out of other days so yeah. yeah it was a little bit disappointing and just a reminder like to my own self so i think this can happen so often to i know i'm not alone in this there were so many people sick over the holidays yeah. but it's you know that sort of you keep yourself going until you don't have to go anymore and that's when you get sick and uh yeah so i'm going to be more cautious of how i uh schedule myself going mm -hmm. through some of these things in the future yeah well it's interesting because you're right like there is a lot like i was on calls with multiple of our coaches and i'm like oh where's your camera they're like oh you don't want to see me today i was like of course i do <laughs> like <laughs> like i'm just getting over covid i was like oh okay well if you're comfortable turn your camera on because then it's nice to see you right so um but yeah it seemed to go around quite a bit and i i would say like there was always somebody we knew that was sick yeah whether it was covid or not it was just like i don't know is it is it a, you and I were chatting about this? Is this an El Nino thing? <laughs> right. It needs to be colder outside. Yeah. Kill some of I these bugs. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I'm glad you guys still get to get away. Where are you guys going? Um, we're just doing Niagara on the lake. That's like oh, where that's... we love to just like do a quick getaway. So, yeah. Yeah. Is this like back where you guys got married? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. We nice. usually go there every holiday. Do you get like VIP status now? Like do they like know? At this point, yeah, in? of course. Right. So do we have like a, like an Emma code that we get to use for like? I, I cannot provide you with a discount code, but let me ask next time I go. We'll see if we can we can hook uh, you and the listeners up. 
Right, because now my wife used your next code. Now Bianca uses your next code. Mm -hmm. uh, and if she found out that there's a code for Niagara on the Lake, I think there would be multiples that would use that code. Okay. Okay. <laughs> How were your holidays? No, they were good. You know what? It was now that the kids are a bit older, it's not as crazy as it normally is. Um, so the week of Christmas was pretty low key, and then boom, then hockey like hockey tournament hit. Of course. Yeah. So we had a week off of no dance, but then dance everything's picked back up now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's fun. It's kind of it's it's kind of fun to see the kids get so excited around Christmas, and obviously those that. Still think Santa's coming. You know, the the stress goes up on the whole, like, what do you do with the elf on right. the shelf? Yeah. Bless people who do elf on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we met some some of our cousins and stuff, like for like different parties. And they're all, it's so cool to see like they're all like in family planning time and yeah. a couple of them are were pregnant and they're watching the kids run around. And I was like, well, did you open up your gift yet? And they're like, well, what's my gift? I'm like, you're all getting Elf on the shelf. <laughs> no, and I was like, Don't... for my kids, I'm buying it for you. There is that payback time. There definitely yeah. is that payback time. Yep. Yeah. But you know what? It's such a good segment to our conversation today. Like, what should you have thought of before you right. bought Daryl and his family an Elf on the shelf? <laughs> you know, what, what, do we, what would we do differently if we were back in our early days as clinicians, right? But it, it's it's so kind of interesting just to see on like marketing and commercialization, like what it really does. But it was fun. We got to spend some quiet time with family and friends, which was great. Wonderful. So needed. And like, I, I sometimes again, like wish just as a society, we created more time and space for that. And it didn't just, you know, revolve around, you know, two times a year, we like, <laughs> allow for this i think it's it's so important to have those times where we tap out and reconnect with the people that matter and have those conversations and um, yeah. i think it really does fuel the work we do yeah um, you know so what's interesting too i happen to be in clinic like leading up into the holidays it was just one of my days there and everyone for the most part is just calmer too like it's mm -hmm. so there's just so much more like positive energy right not, not for everybody but it's just I mean, maybe not in the grocery store, but <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah, it is, you know, there's like, everybody has a, you know, any, I, I know the holidays can be a challenging time for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, but, you know, typically we have something we're kind of looking forward to yeah. um, and, and we're letting ourselves get out of our regular day-to-day -day routine. And I, I do think that's so important for, for us. Yeah. And then coming back, there's always an interesting family story, right? That, you know, if you ask the the next patient back in the morning, how's your back pain? Like you just missed your opportunity. Like how was the holidays? Like yeah. family, what family drama went down, right? Like, <laughs> and then, oh. you know, to your point, like that can actually give some really good insights on maybe how their back pain is feeling, right? That's like right. depending yeah, on yeah. what comes up there, you know, is it better or is it worse yeah. uh, based yeah. on that? He learned some like new choice words from a good, a good, good friends of ours. Their, their little one is like two and a half and he, and he swears, like he uses the F-bomb. Oh, true context. And it's so hard, especially when it's not your kid. I'm like, right. I kill myself laughing. Um, but it's so creative contextually that we decided that with my grandma, who's 87 or sorry, 87, she's 94. 
um and we were playing cards and we were destroying her right like the fact that she can still play cards competitively at that age is still impressive right but we were swearing like using this like two and a half year old yeah. and my wife is there and she's like i can't believe you guys speak to your grandmother like that but she was like right in there probably like, serving like, it right back yeah of a hundred percent but it's <laughs> one of those moments where like if you were to come back and explain that in a physio session or a chiro session, like I was talking to my grandma like this, someone would think there was something wrong with us, right? <laughs> but in the moment, like she was just lit up, like playing with her grandkids and her great grandkids, even yeah. though we we're all swearing like <laughs> I and, love that. And like those things are such, you know, core memories for all of you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and she gets so bad at this card game. We had to convince her that the the highest score won when it's actually the lowest score wins <laughs> we were like we just got to give her that one well she is she's 94 she yeah 94. yeah so we'll fun. give her that we'll give her yeah. that yeah yeah so yeah so on that note let's chat about going back in the day yeah yeah, yeah. So, maybe, so this was your idea too which i love so maybe give some maybe give some context like what made you think about us chatting about this today why everyone's waiting going through our holiday situations to get to <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, coming into our recording today, I was just thinking what would be of potential value to the people listening and why they would invest their time uh, in listening to us. And I think there can be so much value in just hearing other people's lessons, which is one of the reasons we ask our guests, you know, what would you tell your, your, you know, former self? But I think, it's sort of twofold it you know, not necessarily that it prevents us from you know making the same mistake but i think there's also this understanding when you hear other people's lessons you also know like you're not alone mm. in that that yeah. maybe you've gone through that too and like that's very normal mm. and so i think so much of what we've already done on this podcast is is normalize some of the hard things or the growth opportunities mm -hmm. in being a clinician and so i just thought you know we've given given this question out to so many people um mm -hmm. but it would be interesting to give the question to each other uh, yeah. and and just see what comes out of that yeah yeah well what would you tell your younger self yeah i i did i'm not gonna lie i did like think about this a little bit before we yeah. um, hopped in here. And I came up with a few things. Okay. I think my biggest sort of overarching one is, which I don't think I missed, you know, in school or in early practice, um, but wasn't necessarily modeled to me was like, you are able this profession. It's not black and white, you're able to do this work in so many different ways. And it's so important that we customize it to ourselves. Mm. And knowing that what serves us as a clinician in terms of setup of our practice and how we operate, I think early on, I thought, you know, even something like you have to work evening hours, <laughs> you know, okay. that's often, you know, clients need after work. I think I thought I had to do all of these different things in order to make it work for other people and really taking a step back and looking at, you know, what would serve me as the clinician? And obviously there's some give and take here, but figuring out what I needed in order to show up and serve really well and allowing that to be there too. 
Um, and knowing that what served me also served the people I saw. And yes. so as an extension of that, I also think it was like owning, I, I don't always love the word niche, but owning my niche and owning what I knew I did well and felt really good with and comfortable with mm -hmm. and knowing that it was okay to like refer out to other people. Yeah. So what, as I'm listening to you too on this one, two things came to mind. One is, do you notice that our American colleagues still call it like say niche? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, is it a different word? And I just let it slide. It's <laughs> fine. You can say it however you yeah, want. Say, I'm yeah, going to stick with niche. <laughs> it always just makes me think a little bit. I was like, what did they say? Right? <laughs> so, and uh, and we're headed down to Orlando anyway. In a right, yeah. And, and, they're all like, I'm sure we'll say niche like a thousand times and, was, and they'll do the same thing. Like, are you guys talking about niche? So, so, <laughs> fun. I know we both have people that are from the U.S. that are yeah. watching. That was my first thing that came to mind that you and I call it the same thing. Yeah. The second piece though, is I think the part that was always missing, and this is actually similar to my advice too, is you're almost sort of training a way to accept where you wanted to be as opposed to like learning how to adapt if it wasn't what you're looking for in a way yeah. right so, yep. so I think what we see a lot of people do is like okay you have a schedule that you have in mind that's okay right yep. but the key thing is is well, what do you do when people need evening appointments and you don't yep. work evenings like what you typically see yep. a response of like well I can only come this one day in the week or every other week so that's just what we have to do well that's not actually what was best for the patient so how do you transfer care, yeah. right, is what you said. And I think yeah. that is such an interesting part, especially when you think most people are on fee-for-service, right? So mm -hmm. I only eat what I treat, right, in a way I don't like to be a kill. So, <laughs> but if you think about that, that's such an important piece, right? Because otherwise you kind of, I don't know why my face is frozen like that, but, <laughs> but, but I think it's so important, right? Because you want to do what's best for the patient. You want to have sort of this work-life integration, but what do you do when you have a patient that has a schedule that doesn't have the flexibility? Is it okay to, to alter their plan of care? Not really. That could still be an option, but another option would be is exactly what you said. How do I learn to navigate that appropriately? But it's so challenging, right? Because you're like, look, I have student debt. I have bills to pay. I, I want to start, you know, I want to own assets. Maybe yeah. house, maybe not. I know Robin will say you don't necessarily. <laughs> right. See <laughs> you next week. Yeah. But I think it's so hard because there's so many factors that are floating around, but these are the things that are hard to navigate, right? Like those are the things that you can't really tell a new grad right away because you tend to just do exactly what you said. You kind of just come into the environment and private practices expect to be done a certain way as opposed to how could we, like, I love what you said, there's still some give and take to it, but how do we nurture people to realize that there is potentially some opportunity to have some flexibility? Yeah, I think it's like, I think if I look back on, on my experience, I adapted too much. I folded too much into just what other people needed from me. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize there's kind of this like meet in the middle option where mm -hmm. like, we can really see, you know, where I shine and, and, and how this can work really and feel really good for me and still work with others. And I think, you know, that referring out piece 
is kind of, you have to have a bit of trust. You know, what I, I know what both of us know now is, you know, you refer out and twice as many people come back to you because, you know, they have great experiences in knowing that you're taking their needs as a priority, right? And so I always hold that in referring out, you're actually, you know, creating really good word of mouth about how you care for people. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it's not abandoning your own needs in order to serve and accommodate others that that was was where I found myself sort of five years in thinking I don't know if I can keep going like this because no part of this is is feeling right for me mm -hmm. and you know what I think it kind of brings me back to like PT school right like do you remember um I'm not sure how you guys did at Mac but we had this whole like interdisciplinary week okay right? and it was like we were it was really cool your tea like we were with OTs PTs we were with dentists actually we were with, um, and we were with actually the pharmacists. Um, it was really cool. It was like an MDA case. It was all around pain. It was kind of like what everybody was like, what were your contributions from an interdisciplinary perspective? Yeah. But it was one week. Right. <laughs> and at the same point, we were just arguing over like, why would you give meds for that when we should just be doing active rehab? And <laughs> from there. But what was really interesting is that really is a theme when you think about it it's very rare for me to work in isolation anymore yeah. with, with high success. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. And I just, actually, I just met with a guy that I hadn't seen in years from, um, from a coaching perspective. And it was really interesting. He's like his terminology for his, like for patient care was we have an orthopedic problem with psychological overlay. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so brilliant. The way that you think about it, because these patients, and that was really going to be my very first thing is learning how to screen people as opposed to orthopedic skeletal conditions right yeah. like I, I still remember early on in my career I was like saying to the owner that that um I worked with and he was a great mentor for me I remember saying it was like probably six weeks in I was like oh my god I finally got my first like textbook case he's like what was it I was like hamstring tear and I, and the fact that I was looking so for a textbook case and I don't know what was the book we saw what was that thing? Uh, oh my uh, like Dutton or uh, yeah, yeah the other one McGee something yeah. it was a McGee, for sure McGee and I, remember I also have like I just had like flashbacks of like Kisner and Colby yeah, all those ones <laughs> were somewhere around my house I still have the muscle oh really I donated yeah. those long ago yeah <laughs> it, it, it was so interesting because it was almost like I created waiting for that but here like now as I know more like now, and obviously that's the whole point of practices Jim talked about is like, I have to go back and really think about like, what was I missing? I was missing the fact that I was looking for a condition in a person as opposed to how can I best serve this individual in front of me? Because you can't personalize a condition. It doesn't work. Yes. Right. So it was really interesting that I think to a few, two things that I believe I didn't really appreciate in my training was interdisciplinary care of knowing when and how to refer, right? How to broach that conversation. Other, other than it being like, oh, they ran out of funding. So refer to this discipline. Like that right. was not, yes. <laughs> introduced. It's not the way that it actually happens. And the second part was, is I didn't understand how to screen people. Mm -hmm. Right. And then now that we learn about communication and connection and just the relevance of that, but even if you think about it, that takes a bit of experience to get used to. 
but it, I wasn't, I didn't find it was ever emulated in clinic either. So one of my internships, like no one was screening the individual. People yeah. were just like, oh, did you do your neuro scan for the knee pain? No, okay. I didn't. Right? Yeah, like, there is so much focus on the like objective assessment yeah. um, in school and, you know, as you're learning. And I think what I hear from a lot of clinicians and what I know for myself is over time that totally flip-flops. Like I can do an entire initial assessment and never even get to an objective assessment because the information I glean from conversation with a client tells me 90% of what I need to know. Yeah. 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 And the thing too that I think where that goes to is like understanding key aspects of the assessment. Right, like if you think about it, like we do such yeah. a good job in school. I was like, oh, I knew red, every red flag. I even <laughs> at some point I even knew what normal range of motion was, right? Until I saw my first EDS patient, I was like, well, why does your leg go over your head? That goes out the window very quick. Yeah, but it was so interesting. But I was made to focus on that stuff, whereas I should have been focusing on, hey, what's your expectations for today? Like, do I even need to get down the pathway of treatment today? Right. And how do I define treatment? So I think, you know, the utility of a patient report outcome measure is what I wish I understood as opposed to just being something I had to do in school. Mm, right. Yes. And that part of uh, not just practicing an interview, because I remember we, and that was great, right? We were yeah. able to practice yeah. an interview, but we never recorded it. So I couldn't watch it yeah. to see my, like, you know, my nuances. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was, sort of training a way to like see how fast I could get that done to get to objective and it was yeah. never challenged right it was never like well Daryl what's what's your reason for rushing your subjective assessment whereas you and I now my objective assessment could be 30 minutes or sorry my subjective yeah. 30 minutes totally. my objective has never been more than 10 in the last like probably decade yeah yeah I I I wonder, and I, I'm not in the school system as often anymore, but I wonder, you know, how much, if, if that's changed, you know, as, mm -hmm. as of course, you know, physio is always developing and, and yeah. clinical practice is always developing. And I just wonder if there is more of that, because that was something early on, something I thought about was like, I so often looked for solutions when I didn't have the problem. Like I... Yeah, I so was taking all of these courses, but like, I didn't have a, a specific client or need for a new treatment technique. What I already had was working the one spot where I did have a problem and I needed the solution was that communication piece. And, and I will forever, uh, I'm not affiliated with them, but I will forever harp on the like motivational interviewing courses. Mm -hmm because that was an issue I was having, was having people take responsibility and some personal responsibility in their rehab. And, and I think that piece was so helpful, but otherwise I was just like collecting solutions for problems I did not have, which really muddied the water. So even today, something I always ask myself before signing on for a course or, you know, doing some more con ed is, what is the problem and it's like problem in quotes what is the issue i'm having or the gap i have and how will this course help solve that yeah that's a, that's a great way to look at it i think it's it's one of those things is where sometimes you just kind of need to get your feet wet in a practice environment to kind of know what 
exactly the same thing. Like you and I've talked about this forever. Like we did so many courses in our first year of practice without really having a true reason. Okay. What's, what is this going to help me do? Um, what's the expectation I have? What's the goal at the end of this one? Certainly you're going to be more knowledgeable, but what, what impact does it have on your practice? Because yeah. as we all know is I don't really love the fact that everybody will often say, well, I felt dumber after this course. I actually never intended. I was never dumber after a course. Was yeah. I confused sometimes of how to apply this into practice? Yeah. Yes. And I think it, it's exactly that you said so well. It's just because I didn't know what problem that was trying to help me solve. So therefore it just added to some complexity, which often added to my objective examination. My, je- right. my <laughs> 15 minutes to 20 minutes. And then my owner at the time, I only had 30 minutes to do an assessment. So I was like, five minute object or subjective. Right. So, um, but I think that's that's so and it it's so relevant, right? Because I think when you start to not really have a purpose with things, you just do it because everybody else is doing it, right? Or you do it because that's what your mentor did. And that's sort of what yes. the imposter syndrome. I think the one piece that I, I wouldn't mind diving into a bit a little bit on Sam. So yeah. on the academic side, right? And obviously you, you've been to Western with me. I'm still faculty at Western and, and we give huge kudos to everybody that's trained us through that university, especially. Yeah. And it's interesting because I guess the question I have for you, though, is how much is it really the academic responsibility to get people to understand, you know, we're going to introduce motivational interviewing to you, right? right. And everybody I meet that's a young grad, so I did motivational interviewing, and then I see them in assessment, like, you didn't do any motivation, right? Like, you did nothing in that that was, other than asking some subjective questions, but yeah. where do you think that maybe... Not necessarily saying like it has to be a continue or a clinical educational piece, but for us as mentors and coaches and working with you know young clinicians, where's it so maybe a bit on us to try to create a little bit more clarity around the importance of things that we've learned, right? Like motivational interviewing, you know, physiotherapy with a coaching edge, as Jim calls it. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, the academics still must deliver a curriculum that allows us to pass a national exam. Which of course. Think. And like I, I also hold there's like so much just in, in terms of safety and like covering yeah. all of our bases and 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 making sure that, you know, none of that is lost. And that, you know, at that phase is what's important. Mm-hmm. Maybe what I came up against was I think I was, and and not necessarily like sold this notion, but I maybe had the expectation that I was going to do this master's program. It was going to be two years and then I would be ready to go. And I think some like warning signs along the way of like, hey, you know what, we're going to give this to you now. This is going to be like level one. And just so you know, there's so much more here and you're going to have to continue to invest and and practice and understand i think there was like this level of almost like disappointment in myself finishing school going into practice and being like wait what i thought they were i thought this was comprehensive and so you know i that's just not understanding the sort of depth of the work that we do and and you know mm-hmm. as you're going through school you you only can see and understand to the level that you've been able to see and understand and so i think some like just warnings along the way (laughs) would have gone really far and and not pretending that you're ready to go Mm -hmm. Um, yeah 
But the other thing too that I'm curious of, and that kind of goes with a lot of the other discussion points we had around self-development, like what are the things that I would say I would sort of look differently again if I was starting out my career is to know how to handle like a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Anything about That's a good one. like the complex, and I'll still remember a case that I had my first year of practice, super young lady. Um, and my, and my boss at the time, we, we treated this lady like your typical thoracic pain work, re- like workplace injury, everything made sense yeah. up until a point that this, I remember this lady just tanked and we're like, what the hell is going on? And I remember this tanked incident. She came in and she was cutting her grass because I was in Dunhill at the time. So there was lots of farms out there. Yeah. <laughs> it was vibration and her symptoms like went through the roof. And I was like, what? And I remember at the time, like I looked at everything objective. Did I miss a rib? Did I miss like right. some sort of like pivum pavum? And and for those that are listening, like that, I I lived that stuff before, right? Not to say it's still not useful, but in the end, I missed the red flag. Mm-hmm. She ended up having metastatic cancer, mm-hmm. and she died with two young kids. Oh, um, I think both were under the age of like four, and I'm like I was not ready for that. Yeah, like I I yeah. think it changed sort of what, how I, again, started thinking about, well, there's a person in front of me, not just a back spine yeah. issue that I know I can mobilize. And luckily, like we didn't do anything that caused any harm, but we ended up getting, I remember too, where I got super emotional because I was fighting with WSIB on this case, like to get ongoing approval. But, and we worked with the physician as well as we could at the time, it's small town, like, you know, everybody, but it was just that part is when you get that diagnosis, to confirm it, halt on physio to be fair, right? At that right. point, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. you're going to Hamilton and we're going to, yeah, there's it. bigger fish to fry. And then just the impact, like 12 months later, when this lady dies, like mm-hmm. I was still in town, like everybody knew who this, you know, young mom was. Yeah. And I think it was that part where, you know, those types of incidents really affect people. And I don't think we were really trained to know the level of like, that we're going to deal with. Like, think about if you're in the ICU, you see death all the time, yeah. right? And I think we're trained to be very technical, but yeah. our level of interaction and connection and and intelligence actually goes beyond just the the technical side of what we do. So I think that's also that's another piece. I wasn't really prepared into private practice of dealing with people who have those types of medical issues and that, you know, that level of, of story, all the way up to the lady that's going to yell at me because I forgot to Right. The report on time. And now she's not going to get paid. Like, right. Like, you don't, you never, we didn't learn, I think, sometimes the real aspects of practice. Yeah. Like the, the humanity that everyone walks through the door with. And, and I think even too, like, I look back, I graduated at 25. Like, my, my life experience was not very vast at that time. And people Mm -hmm. will come to you things that you were, aren't ready or, or, you know, necessarily even capable of, nor should you deal with alone. Um, and, and again, I think that's that sort of like warning sign, uh, that can sometimes be missed of like, Hey, we should warn people, you know, this is, this will happen. You're working with other humans. It will happen in your career and, and what to do about it and sort of taking any stigma about if it does impact you because it, it will. Um, I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that I, I look at from, you know, academia to some perspective, right? Like how can you change the curriculum? But sometimes it's, it's, 
it's not it's not really quantifiable to be like oh we t- we 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 taught it we measured it and now we know you're good at it, right but if i think about covid again like we we experience so much more emotion from from individual indiv- let's just call it individuals coming back mm-hmm. into clinic when our doors reopen like it was like a totally new experience especially if you had experience prior yeah. right like uh-huh. what physiotherapy and chiropractic and you know all of like naturopathy what we all saw was very different like someone who hasn't been out of their house in weeks all of a sudden like just unleashed like everything that's been happening all the challenges and problems which we never had to deal with before but I'm seeing too is like that human like that humanity aspect yet still has to be introduced to a young clinician yeah and even still and for us that are like even again like we have years of experience where do you go when you have difficulty with a case right and not the case clinically like I'm talking about like yeah something's not sitting right is trauma is is it does does their experience like recreate past trauma for you right it kind of goes back to yeah that's big you know creating this like this work safe place like where do you oh like what do you recommend to people now this shit's gonna come up yeah i i mean that is where i'm always a a huge advocate if it's accessible i i do think therapy is so important um Mm -hmm. you know and i i wish it was more accessible to more people um but i i do think you know whether it's with a a licensed therapist or creating a space for yourself you Mm -hmm. know asking trusted colleagues asking a group of friends hey you know are you, are you open to me sharing this with you? Are you open to hearing me out on this? I do think that intentionally having those spaces for ourselves are really important um, because we can underestimate the impact over time. Like I even think cumulatively, right? Like if you're seeing seven, eight, 12, 16 patients a day and every person is depositing a little bit into your nervous system you need to create space for yourself where you can decompress um and and sort through some of this this stuff for yourself um and so yeah my always my my recommendation is therapy but otherwise you know creating a a a sacred space um to unpack those things with some trusted colleagues friends i think is very important Mm -hmm. yeah it, it was making me think too like if you and you, you like you've done the retreats now, like you guys have one coming. Yeah. You know, we've done all the clinic boss summits and stuff, and, and and obviously too, like the fact that you create sort of community that, yeah, it's nice to have it online, but I still think that in person, you know, connection once a year, twice a year is still so relevant. What would you? How would you sort of introduce that concept, like now, Emma? Like. You know, when you think about the two of us, our journey was so like clinically driven, right? Like <laughs> you're going to do the masters. Like I started, then I was definitely doing the masters. Like we have so like X certificate, you've got more initials after your name than most will have. But if you think about now and just the, the opportunity to spend that, you know, that those weekends before, would you trade some of those weekends, like, you know, extend maybe your clinical growth? to make space for a lot of this like retreat work now that you've experienced it like you lead it yeah but how how would you promote value around it like what's what's there now like that you wish you would have known back in the day even though it didn't exist now it does right yeah I you know what I think 
looking back, I chose to do courses because that's what had been demonstrated to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, we sort of look at our mentors and what they've done and we are like striving to be something or someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and truly, I just, I didn't know other opportunities existed. And I think there's probably an element for me initially where it felt safer. I knew I was really good at learning and learning felt comfortable. And, you know, I, I'm a multiple choice exam girl. Give me the info, I'll spit it back out at you. And this other work is a lot more nebulous and doesn't give you a credential. And so there was a block for me there too of like, well, why would I pay money when I don't exactly know what I'm going to get out of it? There's no like hard concrete deliverables. <laughs> There's no certification or, you know, certificate at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I do this work with clinicians now. I see the impact. I've seen the impact for myself. So, of course, I am a huge proponent of it. Um, but I think it can sometimes be one of these things that if you, A, if you don't know it exists, right, you're in a default to what you're seeing other people doing. Um, but it can also be a comfort zone thing. It, and so I think in that sense, for me, it took being deeply uncomfortable in my practice and in my life to do Mm -hmm. this new uncomfortable thing because I had tried the other way and clearly it wasn't working. And so sometimes I do think, you know, all all personal development has to be right place, right time. You can't force Mm -hmm. anybody into it. You can't, you know, impose it upon anyone. People have to be open to it. And so sometimes I think it takes, you know, you starting to question things and and seeing that maybe you want to try something different or something's not working that will lead you there and and i think that's always kind of the path because you know you can't i think my worst nightmare is having somebody show up on retreat who doesn't want to be there that that is that's going to change the room and change the outcome for everyone Mm -hmm. so it really does have to be this willingness and readiness to invest in that way yeah, it's true. Mel, Mel, my wife went to some bar class and there was like seven that clearly didn't want to be in that class. <laughs> they got dragged there. <laughs> so like disruptive, even for like Bianca was like, it was after her dance class and she's like, what was wrong with that lady? And I was <laughs> and she never came back. Thank God. Right. But, but if you only have one event, one day it's it can be pretty problematic right i i always say this is you know a big thing for me with clinic culture any one person can disrupt an environment you have Mm -hmm. a wrong person in any environment and it really changes how you know people interact with each other so i I do think that is so important yeah and i think the like i know we're running short on time and we always start these late because we could just keep talking for hours (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> turn into Hugh Cooperman lab. Yeah, the, you said to me too earlier that I, I think is even more relevant now is the fact that you have to learn to reflect on your practice. Like, and I, I get it, it's, it's, it's actually a qualification from the college, right? Like, right. yeah. And I think we see it as a, like, as a task, as opposed to a development strategy, mm. right? So, yeah. you know, a lot of times too, like I'll meet people to be like, oh, I took this course and they said the practice environment I'm in is terrible. I was like, well, how the hell can one person in a matter of 20 minutes make the judge of your practice environment? Yeah. Right. Like, like, and I think that sometimes too, is it, it, whether it feeds into people's like insecurities or not too, like I would never make it, I would never give a patient advice in the first 10 minutes of actually that assessment, 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't know anything about that person, but I find we're always so quick to give people a solution. Again, what you said, like, but I don't know their problems. Right. So I think we almost have to encourage a bit more of like, okay, tell me about like, why do you feel that way? Tell me more about your practice and how that practice feeds into why you became a physio, a car, like, like, because even for me, like I'm, if I saw 16 people there, I'd be bored. Like for me, I've always been driven by like being busy the whole time, but I've always had an assistant. Like I would never do it on my own, but volume wasn't my issue. Right. But for some people it is, but what is it that I was still like that I needed in my practice? But I think what I would say is kind of what you've been alluded to too, is like, I think was trained that I had to be like this person. I was very fortunate. I actually wanted to follow that pathway. So I did. Right. Yes. Yep. Not everybody is going to be me, right? Not everybody's going to be you. So the key thing is, is like, I think learning how to use self-reflection to be a development tool and not like just something like where shit has to get bad. Like it's something we should continuously do to know, okay, well, you know what? This is a problem. Like I'm not happy right now. Or I'm working really hard because it's not fitting my core values or it's not following like where I want it to be. Kind of like what you said, but can we get people thinking about that stuff before they get to that lowest point in their career, right? Where it's like, they feel like they're stuck, right? You did a phenomenal job of taking that point and building something really cool, but how can we help ourselves earlier so we don't you know, we, the warning signs, we can also find them. Like, whereas people told us, you know, this is a pathway, but you still have to carve your own pathway. You have to think about going to networking sessions, meet with people, develop your own ideas, because we know that putting clinician X on a pedestal is not going to help your imposter syndrome. And just getting some random advice from somebody that knows jack shit about you and your, you know, your life, is also really not helpful. Like, so what would be your thoughts, Emma, of like, just what would you change from a self-reflection perspective? I don't really have an answer for myself, but I wish that it was part of my early days as a clinician. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think for myself, it was cultivating better self-trust. And I think so often, especially in the education system, we, we look to others who quote unquote, have all the answers. And so we don't learn to trust our own intuition and our own inner knowings. And to me, reflection is a practice of building self-trust that actually we have a lot of answers. We don't need to look to other people or other sources who don't know us as well. We are always going to be the expert on ourselves, Um, you know, to varying degrees. You know, some people have a lot of self-awareness and some people don't have much, but we're still the foremost experts on ourselves. And it's having, it's not only having the awareness, but also cultivating the trust. It's understanding, okay, this is what I think I need. And I trust that I know this is what I need and nobody else knows better. Um, Because so often I think we outsource to other people and we ask around, what do you think I should do? Or, you know, take the advice on as our own. And we don't check it versus 
what actually intuitively we know to be true. And that's why I think reflection is such an important process. I literally every month run a co-journaling session. All of my clients join on Zoom. It's 45 minutes. I play some music. I give them some prompts because creating the space to reflect isn't easy alone. Uh, it's not easy. You're not necessarily, if you have the option of, you know, watching a football game or spending, you know, uh, an hour reflecting on yourself, we're always going to choose the other thing because it's more comfortable and, and it seems quote unquote more important. Um, but I do think that those sort of things are what help you understand yourself and your inner voice, and it will become stronger over time. Yeah. And I think those are like, key things to like you know instead of just making like huge sweeps and be like oh this my problem must be that you know i can't see that volume of patients anymore i'm burnt out at the end of the day that actually may not be your problem the problem maybe is that you've never actually really understood what's going to potentially drive you right yeah. or there could be something else in there that is actually draining it's actually not the interactions exactly right? yeah or, your practice is like so heavy on, you know, psychological overlay as an example, and you don't have the right interdisciplinary team. So you and your clinic owner, if that's the case, or you yourself needs to create those community connections. And until you learn how to do that, you can take as many freaking clinical courses as you want, but you're not going to feel any change. So I think that's the part where I actually really like that. But what we find too, is people sometimes don't take, they don't make the time for that 30 minutes or that hour, yeah. right? We're like, so what I think too, is we often always think about the strategy of working in clinic versus working on your practice, right? Mm -hmm. So again, treating patients versus I'm gonna make ways to improve my yeah. practice over, like my business, my practice. But I think there's also the other key part for a younger clinician is I never really spent any time on developing me I only looked at it as developing Daryl the clinician. And I think that's another thing too, right? Is, you know, ask your clinic owner if that's where you're working, right? Like, can I protect this hour in a day that I know that you're online at, but with your group? Yeah. And yet, you know what? It's three o'clock. But if someone asks me, I'm pretty sure if that was important to you in your development, if I'm really keen on continuing education and professional development, I'm going to help you make that work. But if you don't ask, I don't know. Exactly. Right. And I think there that that's such a good point is is watching assumptions. Yeah. Um, because I know I did that a ton. Oh, there's no way I could, you know, yeah. start at this time. There's no way I could only see this type of client. I think it's it's once you know what you need, don't assume it's not possible. If if a clinic owner wants to like wants to keep you happy and thriving it is also going to serve them for you to be happy and thriving because your practice will thrive. Um, yeah, so ask, ask. Yeah. And I think if you go in there too, and you kind of have this, like, how can we collaborate to make this happen? Right. As you said, there's some things that are going to be actually pretty easy. Something you're gonna be like, well, we'll have to think about ways to make that, happen. or maybe we have to work towards that. Right. Yeah. Maybe we actually have to recruit somebody. Can you help me do that? Right. But I also want like-minded people in the practice, right? Like, as you said, like, you had core values that you built and you wanted like-minded people won't be perfect, but with the right people, we can get, you know, yeah. the right culture in that organization, right. Or in that, in that clinical environment. So I think that is another great way. And I think it's a great one to add is don't ever make the assumption that it's not possible, but also don't just take the advice of somebody that doesn't really know you and just says, well, this is your, this is the solution to your problem. It may not be, 
because you may not have had that problem. Yeah, but and like, let it be okay if you try something and that doesn't work, go on to the next yeah. thing that you think might, right? Like I think sometimes it does take some trial and error and pulling different levers um, mm -hmm. until you figure out what, you know, I've had so many different iterations of my career and how I show up in practice. And I think that's important to know that maybe what once served you and how you operated doesn't mean it will serve you forever. It will serve you yeah. for a time until you grow. And so we're constantly needing to reflect and then adapt, reflect and then adapt. Um, and I think that brings us closer and closer to, you know, a career that feels really good for us. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like that reflect and adapt, right? Really take the time to understand, okay, like, do I even have a problem? And you may not always have a problem, but at least is there is there, is there an outcome you want from a course or from a networking session or, you know, attending even a free webinar that one of us puts in? Like, what's the outcome you want from that? Like, that hour has to yield a return on that investment. And that time is an investment, right? So what is the outcome? I think that would be something else that I would say, and we'll end with is just everything that we do should have purpose and intent, right? Yeah. The end is of meeting a new person, right? Is it feeling as you said, like, I'm just, it's nice to know that I'm not the only one that has this problem. Yeah. Yeah. But also don't be a jackass and be disruptive at a retreat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please, this is a message to anyone who yeah. doesn't want to go on a retreat. Please do not sign up for my retreat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so on that note, that was, we could keep going on this one for a bit. I know. I, I feel like I have so many, yeah. I have so many other yeah, things. Get, we'll cut it off here. So, so for those of you that, you know, hopefully tell a friend, they can always fast forward the front part that Em and I were chatting about, but we'll definitely carry on with some additional things. Um, I think on this topic, and I, I hate the whole imposter syndrome thing, because I think there's a solution to it, but people need to know they understand the actual drivers of it. We know it's there, right? And I think people sometimes hide behind it because they're not reflective. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think- I, think I also, I feel like, again, we should like, Put a pin in some of these things because I yes. think that's we could do a whole episode. I I yeah. could you know speak to that uh, for a long time, but it, it is so true. Um, the outsourcing and wanting it to be a problem outside of you never really works. Um, yes. it, it is a lot of of internal work that will get you where you want to go. Yeah, and on that note, All we're right. four minutes over. I know. We better end. Awesome. All right, Emmett. So we'll see you next week. And who's coming next week? Is there uh, Robin? Robin? All right. Robin, which is, you know, again, that would be that would be something I would say is I wish I took my finances more seriously and learned more. So we're queuing yeah. them up for everybody next week. Yeah. And don't just listen to everybody else that says, "Hey, you're an independent contractor. You can write off." So let's ask Robin some of those questions because it doesn't work that way. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Okay. Bye. -bye. Okay. Bye. See ya. Bye. And that's all for today. Thanks for tuning into today's episode and joining us on this journey to get smarter in business and life by learning from the top clinicians in the world. Make sure to connect with me on Instagram at Daryl Yardley and be sure to follow my co-host Emma at Press Play Physio to stay connected. And also visit us at cliniciallife.com for more resources, articles, and opportunities to participate in the show. We'd love to have you on to share your expertise and insights with our growing audience. Can't wait to see you next week.